If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello and welcome to a very special birthday episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Live from Tooting to once again talk about the game we all love. Phil, hello. What can I say apart from happy birthday to us? Talking Snooker is one year old and to celebrate, we've just been playing the beautiful table game ourselves, haven't we? We have indeed, yeah, over the road. We're just in the pub here in Tooting. Uh, yeah, lovely. Four hours of drama and tension on the bays there. Um, and yeah, one year old. It's, in some ways, it's gone very quickly. It doesn't seem like a year. In other ways, it feels like we've done an awful lot. And it was a, a long time ago we, we were sort of having a go at this for the first time. We didn't really know what we were doing and sort of waffling away. Um, but yeah, no, it's been a great year. Hopefully everyone else has enjoyed it as much as we have because I think we really enjoy in doing it every week. I do, certainly. And I do as well. We have a great time together. We really do. And yes, it's hard to believe that it feels like from UK to UK, because we started previewing the 2020 UK Championship. And now, of course, we're coming up to the 2021 tournament. And uh, we've been uh, talking snooker now uh, for that whole year. And we really have been delighted to do so. But you know what, Phil? I know how humble you are. It's time to announce we have been playing. And much to my chagrin, the spoils went the other way. They did, yeah. No, uh, you can't see me, obviously, on this podcast, this audio feature, but I am beaming. I'm sat here with my little trophy that we got made up beforehand. Uh, a hard-fought 4-2 win for Haig in the Talking Snooker Championship. From 2-0 down, no less, it really, we had to dig deep for this one uh, and came out on top eventually. But, yeah, as I said, four hours of real uh, blood, sweat and tears in there. It got hot in there. I don't know if that was just because I was feeling the pressure, but it did feel warm. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm delighted to have won the inaugural trophy, uh, but I'm sure you'll be back highly motivated next year to take it back off me. Definitely. We're calling the, tr- the trophy the grand gentleman, aren't yes. we, I think? And, you, and, you, and you've got possession of that. And I must admit, congratulations to you, Phil. But it doesn't have to be the champion of champions, you know, or, or the UK championship or any of those big events to matter. I must admit, I'm gutted. I was 2-0 up and... I'm sort of torturing myself a bit. Did I relax too much in the next frame? I don't really think so. Uh, I wanted to win that as well. Phil got one back. 
then what a fourth frame. I was 31 ahead with 35 on. Didn't give you much of a chance, Phil, I have to say. But you knocked a cracking black in with the last red. White in a difficult position against the cushion. And then you probably did the other ball to win it. And that was just a, a really big moment in the match. I think it was. <laughs> Even at any level, definitely if we were writing a match report of a professional game, we would say that was the, the turning point. And even at, even at our level, it seemed to be. And there was a fluke in there. I did fluke the green, so apologies for that. But yeah, I was pleased with the way I got all the rest of them. And then, uh, yeah, the, then the next one was tight, I think. And then I, I sort of found my best form in the in the final frame, the high break of the day, of the day with an 18, which... <laughs> Doesn't sound like much to many. I'm sure there'll be some very good players listening to this, but I'm delighted with six balls, 18. Um, and nice to get it at the end and sort of power... Can we call that powering towards the finish line? I'm going to call it that. Why not? Well, I think you can call it that, frankly, because I, mean, I was absolute miles behind in that last game at one time. I had two points, and I, I even said that loud, didn't I? Not betraying how I was feeling. I say, you know, the, people look at, look at these scores later and think I just completely fell away, and it wasn't really like that. You were playing so well in that sixth and final frame we played. I did kind of get back in it, but in the end, they did snookers and, and you were, were a handsome winner. But you did, you, you kind of, I don't know if you grew in confidence, a bit like that, but you just felt like at the end, you were in the zone. And we were saying walking uh, to the pub from the, from the uh, snooker club we played in, how frustrating the game can be. Because for those few shots, you looked like you, you weren't going to miss. You were so good. And yet, we obviously missed so many easy ones as well. So it's just frustrating, isn't it, when you're kind of an, an amateur sort of, you know, every so often type player. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, some of the shots I missed today was just embarrassingly bad. But then it just clicks for a bit and you think, where's this come from? And if only could bottle it. And I'm sure that happens at all levels. I mean, we're incredibly low level, but that must happen at all sorts. Professionals talk about being in the zone. You just think, um, yeah, as you say, you can't miss. And I, I, I play like darts at a slightly high level and I play snook and that'll... That'll be the same for five minutes. I feel like I can't miss. And then as soon as it comes, it's gone again. And that, that makes it all the more frustrating. But I suppose you've just got to try and enjoy it while it lasts. Because uh, uh, it doesn't come around very often for me on the snooker table, that's for sure. Well, you, you should be congratulated. You are going home um, with a trophy. And they say, don't they, on quiz shows that no one's going home empty-handed. But I really am, aren't I? <laughs> no, no question about it. I'm going home with absolutely nothing tonight. Um, apart from wounded pride... But listen, let's get on with, with the pod now and talk a little bit more about, uh, well, us, really, uh, on our first anniversary. Now, we're always aware, Phil, we mustn't slip into too much uh, UK-centric talk, and specifically London-centric talk. Uh, many of you will, of course, never have been to Tooting and mm-hmm. might not know too much about it. So let's explain a bit more about where we are. We are outside a really rather wonderful pub the 125-year-old Grade 2 listed building. It's the King's Head in Tooting, just across the road from the London Snooker Club, where we've been playing this afternoon. We are in South London, close to places like Clapham, Crystal Palace and Wimbledon. This is a busy, bustling, diverse part of town with a very large British-Asian community and a huge number of curry houses. People genuinely do come here for miles around to taste some of the really delicious curries you can eat in every corner of this place. Just down the road from where we are, there's a famous Lido at Tooting Beck. While older listeners may well remember the BBC comedy of the 70s and 80s, Citizen Smith, with Wolfie Smith, played by Robert Lindsay, which was set right here. The opening sequence famously shows Wolfie outside Tooting Broadway Station one of two tube stations serving the people of this parish. 
The Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, is a born and bred Tooting man. Other famous people to come from Tooting include the minder actor George Cole and the broadcaster Amal Rajan, who you can currently hear in the mornings on Radio 4's Today programme. And most significantly with regard to this podcast, there's some genuinely special snooker history here with one of the most famous players of all time, people's champion Jimmy White, hailing from Tooting, as does another favourite from those golden years of the 1980s, Tony Mio. And we had a, a watchful Tony in a, in a pictorial sense anyway, Phil, looking over us, making sure of our fair play and, and that the game was sacred. We had a lovely picture of Tony giving it some real, real authentic flavour, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we were in a little corner and he was the one looking over us there, which was nice. A uh, real photo of the time of his pomp with the sort of... I should know what these are called, the sort of wider-breasted waistcoats that you don't really see players wear now, but they certainly did back in the day look very authentic. And I think elsewhere on the walls was Ronnie O'Sullivan, uh, David Gray and Mark Selby, who seemed a little bit out of place, obviously in a snooker hall, but uh, we thought it was mainly London, London-based players. But, uh, yeah, it was nice to have Tony looking over us there. No, it really was. And uh, we actually played in, in a club over the road uh, from here called London Snooker, it's in the same spot on Linwood Road that a young White and Mio used to play at a club that was called Zans back then. And you know, I found some quotes here from Jimmy Phil that really do say it all. He says, I must have been nine or ten when I started, but I was a natural. By the time I was 11, I was spending nearly every day with Tony Mio at a place called Zans in Tooting, playing and practising. By the age of 13, I'd made a century break and taken money off everybody in every place I played. Sometimes I'd leave with hundreds of pounds in my pocket. That was a fortune to a kid. The 70s, don't forget. Yeah, that's uh, enormous. My parents and teachers went mad at me for skipping school, but there was nothing they could do. I'd always find a way to play. Well, we certainly didn't leave with hundreds of pounds <laughs> in our pockets, did we, Phil? More like a few shillings if we're lucky. Uh, of course, you've got a trophy to go home with. But it does feel kind of nice, doesn't it, genuinely, to play in the same spot as we know those wonderful greats of the Bays did, their special characters, as youngsters half a century ago. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And you could tell that it's sort of it's a special place, how busy it was, because we played on a Monday lunchtime. You know, we started at one o'clock on a Monday. And uh, for most of the time, the place was nearly full. I think there were seven tables in the snooker bit there, and six of them were taken for, for a lot of the time, which is great to see, really, for the game. You sort of hear about not too many people playing but there were some youngsters in there one one kid especially looked great um, and yeah I think probably that's that's thanks to people like White and Mio around here so you can tell snooker's in the blood mm. um, and yeah it's nice to I'm sure it's changed a lot since those guys were playing in there as he says an 11 year old kid um, but yeah no it's great to be here in sort of a heartland I suppose you could call it and I'm always jealous when people sportsmen say stories like that you turn up as 11 you're just like oh, I'm really good at this game. And <laughs> you just think, we're doomed forever. <laughs> we can never yeah. catch up with that. But, um, yeah, what an amazing talent to have. I, I praised that young lad next to us, didn't I? I said, God, you're good. He you know, crunched in a, a couple of shots mm. when I looked over. And he said, I've been playing a long time. I think, my goodness, you're only, you're only a very young lad. So, goodness <laughs> yeah. me. Uh, depressingly, I'll have been playing a lot longer. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't uh, match him at all. Yeah, it was great. I mean, part of it must maybe be down to do with clubs closing the ones that that are around are busy i mean i go to the king's cross one as well in north london and that's always sort of jam-packed really mm. but they're yeah 
we thought it would be fitting to play here, wouldn't we? The sort of the history, and it, it's a nice club down here, and people there are very friendly, as you say, a lot of people playing. And I don't know if you, I'm sure you did catch the conversation uh, next to us at one stage. Where are all the youngsters? <laughs> one chap was saying, wasn't he? And I heard John Higgins' name mentioned a couple of times. You know, he's still doing brilliantly, and you know, where are the youngsters coming through? A question that we ask ourselves on this podcast, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it is a, it is a, a question that everyone needs to ask, really, and. Uh, you know, you asked Jason Ferguson about it, and he's very confident that there are there are some coming in. And we spoke on here about Paul Deville, the the English Open, looked great. And I think he's he's won a, an amateur event since since then. His great run to last sixteen in Milton Keynes. So some pressure on his shoulders to do well now. But um, yeah, I mean, it is it is definitely a concern, but it's one that always gets answered. Sports don't just die; new people arrived. And will we have another class of ninety two? I'd be very surprised, but we'll certainly have new players in the game. And what will probably be happening is that they'll just come from all over the world and it won't be quite as UK-centric as it has been in the past. But things change and uh, we're excited to see how they change. We certainly are now. Of course, you are here in the, uh, you know, the sounds of London. You, you don't get very long in this city, do you, without the sirens? So, <laughs> yeah, of course, exactly. But, you know, it, it's a chance to say that it's only our second outside broadcast that's how much we've been hamstrung by the pandemic uh, Phil we of course broadcast from outside the crucible didn't we which we loved in Tudor Square with with Kelly Barker uh, back in the spring uh, during the World Championship this only our second I mean listen we wouldn't do this every week if life was totally back to normal because Zoom suits us but it is nice to get out isn't it because you know I'm a big audio man generally and it's nice to have different sounds to feel like we're sort of something different to listen to but it's a regret isn't it of course like so many things that we haven't been able to do more things like this but but nice to get out tonight yeah definitely it's nice to see you as well I mean we, we chat every week on this but it's very rare we get to get to meet up and uh, I know it's how we sat I don't think we did this on purpose actually but sat under an umbrella this time so we can avoid being caught oh, in the rain God, like we were that, oh, that, <laughs> that time in Sheffield yeah. when we sort of darted into the winter gardens uh, panicky but I think it all turned out all right uh, but no it is nice to mix things up I mean as you say Zoom is unbelievably helpful mm. just for the two of us and when we get guests on as well it's great but uh, no yeah it's great to it'd be nice to be at some venues more hopefully that'll come in the next year or so uh, but yeah as you say nice to be in this place which has a lot of snook history behind it it really does and I should add you know our only previous outside broadcast was in Sheffield you're a Sheffield man I actually did live here in Tooting for around 18 months of my life from the spring of 2007 to the autumn of 2008 and I had a very enjoyable year and a half here actually living believe it or not Phil on Amen Corner which is just down the road from here as a big golf fan always amused me yeah I lived around I lived in Streatham so that's not too far away then I used to get the bus around and play in there sometimes when it used to be called the Hurricane Rooms didn't it Am I think I it right did saying? it yeah. did yes that's right so I have been in there before um, so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm aware of this area as well well, it, and it's, a, it's a, a really interesting area of London. If you ever find yeah. yourself here, you know, coming down to Tooting, there's, uh, it's so kind of diverse. That, you know, you never get, you wouldn't get bored in Tooting. There's always a lot to see, always a lot of, a lot of life about it. And it's, you know, it's very, very pleasant to be here. Uh, Phil, let's talk a bit, a, bit, a bit more generally about the experience of playing. I don't know if you're the same, but even now at my age, and I've been playing sort of all my life on and off, never that regularly, but enough to sort of be experienced with a full-size table... There are still a few times you think, I think I said it out loud a couple of times, God, that's, this, that ball's a long way away. You know, <laughs> when the white ball's at one end and, and the ball you're going for the other, you sort of think, you know, how, how do those guys string together 20 pots in a row yeah. and make it look so easy? It's, it's, uh, 
it's a testament. We'll, we'll go away being even more impressed with those stars, won't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I had a couple of balls today where I was against the cut up against the bolt cushion, and the ball I was going for was near enough over the pocket, but I just thought. I've got no real confidence in hitting it, but mm. I think I got one or two. But um, no, yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable. I, mean, I think I think you have to sort of play the game to truly appreciate how good people are. Uh, and when I'm trying to sort of explain snooker to non-snooker fans who haven't played it, maybe that's why they don't get it so much. Because if you spend an hour on a snooker table, you you've got to appreciate how good these guys are. Because even potting a ball is hard. And never mind leaving yourself in a half decent place for the next one. You know, it's, I mean, yeah, we're, yeah, we're talking to super fans on here, so they know all all about what I'm talking about. But uh, it is a perilously difficult game, and uh, I mean, as we said, we felt a bit of pressure playing with this silly little trophy that we were playing for. Yeah. Imagine when it's your oh, career, yeah. insane. I know, I know, and I, I know. I did that little joke, you know. Uh, earlier with you, they're saying, you know, oh well, John Higgins must feel bad enough losing, the, you know, the, those big finals, but at least he didn't have to take a photo of the winner, <laughs> yeah. which was, um, you know, which I, I had to manfully do after that. But, but you know, on a serious note, those guys that get over it, like Judd losing the UK final last year, for example, and, and, and John Higgins, who no doubt will get over, he's that kind of character, what's happened to him in the last two finals, you sort of think, God, on that level, playing for that money in front of crowds, when, you know, listen, I'm not going to be, you know, pillow over my head you know going to bed early tonight I'm not that <laughs> devastated but I'm quite gutted I am quite gutted oh, yeah. and that was nothing in a way not nothing you know what I mean yeah, so, yeah. Well, how can Compared. I say nothing about yeah. the talking snooker championship <laughs> it's all relative Phil yeah. but you know it's like yeah I, it just it makes you think and time and time again it comes back to it that game is in the mind yeah it doesn't matter whether you're playing for me and you on this Monday afternoon in Tooting or whether you're John Higgins against Ronnie O'Sullivan if you've got your mind straight you know, you need talent, of course. You need you need to have lots of quality, but those guys, and we've seen it time and time again with the big champions. They've got that mentality, haven't they, as well? Of course, they have. Yeah, and dealing with pressure and how hard that is as well. I mean, I think it was sort of accepted that John Higgins hasn't dealt with the pressure that well in recent finals, which is crazy to say about a man of his experience. But you know, it'll it'll happen to everyone, and you've got to have. Yeah, you've got to have the right mindset, which even when you do, I mean, clearly John Higgins does have the right mindset for snooker, but it'll still get you. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you say, even when we were playing there, when I was potting, trying to pop balls just to finish off the match, I was missing things that I wasn't missing earlier. <laughs> it's, it's a funny old game. And uh, and yeah, even what I find in professional snooker, when you look at that as well, it's not just finals. Finals are the ones that get all the, uh, you know, the attention when sort of missing pressure balls, but it's... You know, it's in the World Championship qualifiers when people are playing for the tour card for the next season and stuff, and it won't get the attention. But God, it's it's pressurised and very hard work. And uh, you know, those guys are playing for their careers, not just the the accolades. And it's it's equally as grueling, really, isn't it? It's horrible sometimes, but yeah. that's why we love it. It's great tension, great television. Of course it is, uh, very much so. Well, to speak a little bit more about Arsenal, listen, we're not always going <laughs> to be... Maybe self-referential is not quite the right thing to say. We're not always going to come and talk about ourselves. But I think on the anniversary, I hope you'll grant us a little bit of licence to do that. We started on uh, November the 16th uh, last year, 2020, with a preview of the UK Championship. Now, I have from time to time listened back to that first one, Phil, and I think we were a, a bit, not nervous perhaps, we were a bit wary, weren't we, and... But I think it came over quite well, but I'm sure we got better as it's gone on. We started kind of cautiously, didn't we, with 
episodes every two or three weeks and then kind of went weekly from February and apart from that little gap after the World Championship we've gone you know, every week since then and um, you know, the overriding theme is I'm sure we've settled into it I'm sure we've relaxed into it but we've actually really thoroughly enjoyed it haven't we? Yeah definitely I remember being a bit not, not terribly nervous because I remember thinking oh if we record it it's awful we can just never put it out and just never speak of it again <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was definitely the, an option by the way yeah. <laughs> but I remember writing out near enough everything I was going to say in that first one and just sort of basically reading it off and yeah I've not listened to it back but I imagine it sounds a lot more wooden um, mm. because of course we prepare and make notes and stuff but I don't have much sort of spiel um, but yeah no certainly was at the time and I'd forgotten you know, I suppose that's in a way how long ago a year ago is, but I've forgotten it taken as that long to go weekly because it's become such a regular thing. But um, yeah, of course we did. It took us three months to do that. But um, yeah, now I can't really imagine. Now if we didn't do one for a week, it would seem like forever, yeah. wouldn't it? But um, it would. There's so much going on all the time. Even even this funny start to the season uh, when there's not been loads of snooker at all times. We've, there's been plenty to do. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we enjoyed the ones that were just the two of us, but I suppose that's what's become more and more regular, the amount of guests we've got on, and uh, they've all been great. I mean, it's been a pleasure to have the sort of the writers and the bloggers on and the, those voices in the game, but of course the players, and um, yeah, real <laughs> quite a wide range, really, and uh, they've all got interesting stories, which we said before, I remember when we had Hector Nuns on, and we spoke about talking to the players and being involved with the players is what's the best part of covering this sport so a nice way to get them involved as well and hopefully get their stories out to listeners yeah very good way of saying it. i mean I, I definitely think one of the ethos um behind it really early on was to try and get some of the voices that you don't hear quite so much i think we've done that we've also brought you definitely some of the more established voices and you know hopefully we'll continue with that kind of mix and we tallied up didn't we phil uh, we reckon we've had 19 other people on mm. this podcast and you know it's been a smashing mix really we've had the former stars like John Virgo and Alan McManus uh, world champions Sean Murphy and Stuart Bingham and Rian uh, Evans of course uh, very much so popular tour me- mainstays uh, like Anthony Hamilton David Gilbert Michael Holt Peter Lyons we loved having Rian Evans on as you say uh, Barry Hearn what an episode oh, that was yeah. that in a way they put us on the map is a bit dramatic but th- the ratings for that one even call them ratings the numbers were so much higher than any other episode we did that in March and that was uh, yeah we we just have to say that was naturally what a character Barry is and that that propelled us didn't it I think it really did I think it was a great get from you um, getting Barry on and uh, yeah because as you say that wasn't long after we'd gone weekly so uh, it was a it was a huge step up I mean uh, yeah I'm sure that I mean there's serious big shows that would love to have Barry on uh, and he was very kind with his time and you know, he gave us um, he gave us that big exclusive as well. It was about getting getting uh, crowds in the Crucible when we didn't think they were going to be. Uh, I remember him saying uh, that he, he expected to be able to get a, a full crowd by the end, and I was I remember saying even saying to him, I'm not sure that's going to happen, is it, Barry? But to never question the big man. Yeah, he, yeah, he knows yeah. he can he can pull anything out of the bag. Um, so yeah, no, that was um, I feel like that was it. Yeah, definitely, as you're right, a big step up in the right direction. Superb stuff. I think you said something like you, you reached him from the stars, Barry. Lovely, t- nice turn of phrase like that. And it, it, and he was something like, well, that's the nature of me and yeah. the nature of the man. But it, we, we definitely, I think, both had the same thought and then sort of discussed it later that, yeah, you might get a few through the door, definitely. You might get half, won't get full, but there we are. Yeah. We had it, didn't we? The world final, what a, what a memorable 
uh, event that was as it the world final always is but to have a full crowd back that was special mustn't forget uh, top tour referee Monica Sulkowska mm. as well and as you say now we, we kind of differentiate a bit don't we we call them guest presenters when we have those sort of fellow writers and, and broadcasters they've been absolutely smashing we've had David Caulfield Michael Day Marcus Stead Gary Moss Hector Nunns Daniel Clark and they just offer a good perspective don't they they all offer if I think of every one of those they've all had interesting things to say um, their, their passion for the game I, you know David Caulfield was the very first voice we ever had on him actually and he was absolutely terrific got loads of praise rightly so Marcus Stead who just has an incredible you know encyclopedic knowledge of the <laughs> game frankly Michael Day who lives and breathes this sport Hector of course we know has been you know involved heavily involved with covering this sport for so many years and had so many salient things to say about this industry uh, Daniel Clark as well who is just yeah lovely and Gary Moss who you know we always enjoy reading on social media we knew he'd come over well and he did we, you know we're not just trying to be cool we, we knew they'd be good actually didn't we yeah, yeah you know we, we know we don't invite anybody on do we? we we invite people we think will be good and and everyone has been they've all offered something different haven't they yeah absolutely as you say these guys live and breathe the sport um and I suppose we, this this came up when we were talking to Hector about this on the media special. There's, there's not loads of people sort of writing about it in what you might call traditional media. So, sort of having guys writing blogs or even just doing social media um, is huge for the sport to keep to get, get things out there that people can read. And it everyone's doing such great work, um, and you can tell that they all love it so much. So yeah, but there was no, there was never any doubt about any of those guys having some great stuff to say and coming across well. And yeah, hopefully there'll be plenty more of those kind of those kind of characters in the game to come, and maybe some of them back on again. I'm sure we'll we'll start recircling at some time. Although I'm sure there's plenty more to come that haven't been on already. Yes, we have indeed discussed the possibility of doubles and some of those really big special people. We've actually thought, you know, <laughs> we said it before, but Alan McManus did two and a half hours with us, <laughs> and I think Sean Murphy must have been nearly two hours, maybe was, Hector yeah. over two, and. I know it sounds silly, but we, we could do a lot more, couldn't we? Yeah. With each of those, we could do a lot, lot more. There's things we didn't say. Yeah, absolutely. Alan was... I mean, Alan's the longest one, isn't it? But yeah, yeah. I definitely felt that we were sort of almost rushing through the ones at the end because I thought, <laughs> this is getting daft now. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, mean, I think I messaged you, didn't I? I said, <laughs> maybe we should not ask so many questions <laughs> yeah. now when we were doing the, the actual correspondence ones because, yeah, it was, it was well over two then and yeah. poor Alan had a big big round of golf in the morning. It, hey, and he was struggling with a cough as well. Oh, he <laughs> was a bit, yeah. We needed some stretch sores there. But we... we, we, we <laughs> I mean, Alan's just a lovely chap, as we all know. I mean, he he, he would have he would have gone until three in the morning and said nothing, wouldn't oh, he? Yeah. Probably. He's just he's, he's that way. Yeah. He's very obliging. So we had to call. But to say we kind of rushed it a bit to get it in at two and a half hours sounds barking mad, but it is accurate. We we yeah, did. It is. <laughs> and he actually messaged me a couple of days later with an idea for another podcast. So Ooh. he's he's keen to come back on. So yeah. if there is going to be a double up, then it might be Alan because I won't spoil it now. But he had he had quite a specific idea which I quite like the sound of. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we. Might well hear from more from Alan on it in the future indeed and and just to um, uh, dot the I's and cross the T's on the other names we've had here we have one of the best tipsters in the business George Wayham and super fan Kelly Barker the BBC gave her that uh, moniker and we, we can't improve on that and do you know what Phil you know looking at the weeks months hopefully years to come we'll have plenty more special guests players of course many of them referees officials more guest presenters, those fellow writers and broadcasters. 
but I promise we will also bring more fans to you because they it sounds a bit corny but it is true and god the pandemic proved it they're the lifeblood of this game aren't they oh absolutely yeah they keep it going and <laughs> it seems like once you're a proper snooker fan you're, you're in for life and uh yeah they live and breathe it as I said about the writers before but all you don't have to be a writer you don't have to be on social media to be a big fan and uh, be so passionate and keep the game going because yeah as you say the li- lifeblood is correct and uh, we appreciate the time we've had from all of them and the players as well I mean I would say there's not too many sports where we could get hold of some players we're not paying any of these guys <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure people will, will realise um, and they'll give up an hour two hours of their time uh, to come on Zoom and chat to us about stuff and no one's complained about us rambling on for ages even when we have so yeah they might have done privately well yeah I remember when Michael Holt came on I'm sure Mrs Holt wasn't that pleased that he was still going after an hour and a half but but, yeah no we're very grateful for everyone who's come on and uh, everyone's been very generous with the time no they really have they've been terrific and you know I think Sean Murphy former world champion one of the most famous people in the sport you know and he was messaging Arthur was pleasure any time felt like he could have done more maybe mm. you know would love to come back any time that kind of thing you think god these people are so obliging I mean and these are stars of the sport yeah. you know not, yeah, not just yeah. like you know it's and um, we say it time and time again we're so blessed as, as writers and broadcasters and people involved with this sport you know those involved top players officials everybody so so obliging and how honest they can be I, I, was, I was listening to a football podcast the other day and one of the presenters was saying he interviewed Arsenal's groundsman recently and there were four people from the club there to sort of manage what he was saying and what he could or not say. <laughs> it's the bloody groundsman. Whereas, you know, we can get, um, we can message a world champion on, on Twitter and they'll come here and talk openly and freely and, yeah, we are very fortunate in this sport, I think. We really are, so, so true. Now, it doesn't feel quite like the right thing to have favourites, so I'm definitely not going to just say this one we've already mentioned a few of them anyway Alan McManus of course was so brilliant recently but I do think Virgo is extra special for me I, I have to say that it, you know for me because we so rarely hear from him in that context we've heard his voice for decades but mm. very rarely hear his views and I, I sort of thought that it would be good but I'm you know a bit of a perfectionist it's not often I say that things exceed my expectations but I think that almost did really I thought it was it was so wonderful to have him on and I still think about it quite a lot it was, it was special oh yeah I mean, I, I think that's one I've, I've laughed my way through most yeah. um, that plenty have been very enjoyable but yeah I mean I mean John John's such a, a veteran a sort of after dinner speaker and stuff he can tell a story with the best of them can't he but he was just ticked all the boxes didn't he he went back went right back to his playing career but obviously all the way st- through to sort of his opinions on the, on the modern game what's going on now and that's really what sort of caused a bit of a stir which I don't think we were going into that podcast expecting any controversy to come out of it, but they got a little bit out of it. And as, as media men, I swear, uh, I suppose that's what we're into as well. But yeah, no, it was superb stuff from John. Um, very funny bloke. So, and just, yeah, a great voice of snooker. And as you say, we've, we've all, everyone who's listening to this podcast has heard a lot of hours of John Virgo, but they might not have heard him talking quite like that, which is a nice thing to give people. 
Oh, it was absolutely brilliant. And what I loved about that moment, in, in a way, although it's quite sad, if you're a long-time fan, that he believes, he, he says the BBC have told him and Dennis Taylor it'll be their last season. What I loved about that is it was really authentic from our mm. point of view as well. We didn't know, did we? No, we didn't yeah. fake it. It wasn't building up. We didn't sort of say, right, John, he told us before in a little whisper and we, we, hand, you know, we, we purposely brought it up. It was a complete shock. And that, those moments are great because you can't script them. They just, we, we had to find, obviously, <laughs> audio service, we had to find the words quickly. We're thinking on our feet and like, didn't know this at all, you know, and uh, we had to kind of, Think quickly, but it was, um, you know, a really great news line, wasn't it, for us? Yeah, and I mean, you could tell from the way, maybe it was because we could see his face as well, but I'm sure you could tell by how he said it that, you know, it's a sad time. For, it was a sad news for John, you know. I think I asked him that, you know, that definitely wasn't your decision. He said, certainly wasn't, no. So um, we still haven't had the 100% confirmation. We still, it's still just what John thinks is, uh, he's, yeah. he's been told. Yeah. Um, so we'll see, but. Yeah, it was, it was interesting the the response from that as well. I think I think the majority felt that was sad. Some people thought maybe you know it's the natural time to go, but uh, we'll see. You know, we'll, yeah, we'll see what happens. But you know, it was it that was probably the most emotional little moment on the podcast, mm. was it? Maybe yeah, there so. might have been I'd one or two so. others, but yeah, that was certainly because mm. as you say, we were taken aback because it was mm. a good three quarters of the way into that pod as well. Mm. We sort oh, of, yeah. I wasn't expecting a. Um, a news line to pop up at that moment but it did um, yeah and we'll see what happens well indeed we will and you, you once came up with a, a lovely line actually which you didn't I might have said on the pod after but you said it when we were off air about that's the essence of talking snooker when it's just me and you and I, and I like I like that's a lovely way of saying it and we'll still have those episodes of course but we will bring won't we uh well, I say guests big and small. No, no one's small. Everyone's important in this game. But we'll have the, the superstar names all being well, the big names. Some people we might not be able to get, but we're confident we can get most of the people certainly we want. And we'll have more world champions, more great stars, but also, I say, some more of those kind of real lifeblood characters, mm. those fans. And we'll have more referees. We often get asked about that, Phil. We have Monica on. We want, we want more of those. We'll have some officials perhaps to explain about the the ins and outs of the inner workings of the game. And, uh, yeah, you know, we, we, we're going to sound a little bit afterwards ourselves and, and have a little chin wag about the future. But then I, I sort of joke with you saying, well, the future is us too nattering away about snooker, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the title of the podcast does it, does it justice, doesn't it? That's just what it's going to be. Um, and, of course, we'll probably have to come up with some new ideas and stuff, but I think it, it largely takes care of itself. But, of course, if, if you guys listening, if anyone has any suggestions, we're, we're very welcome to hear them. Um, whether it's specific players or anything or just um, parts of the game you know administrators or like how things work and we could find people to get on to explain certain things um, because we certainly don't know everything about the inner workings of organising tournaments or how anything works like that so yeah we're, we're always very welcome to suggestions and you know there's a, there's a, there's a long list of people to, that we can get on so uh, yeah there's going to be some of just me and Nick but uh yeah, hopefully lots more guests. Uh, and we counted up 19 so far for the first year. I'd be surprised if we don't have more than 19 in the second year. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, yeah, we look forward to bringing you, you know, so many more treats in the in, in the times to come. Um, Phil, the champion of the champions is underway. I mean, it's stealing our thunder a little bit. I thought, <laughs> you know, we, you know, the timing could have been better from their point of view. But no, it's a fabulous tournament. It is underway in Bolton, and well. Uh, close I'm sure if anyone that knows me in my life will confirm never really been my thing I'm not really a fixtures and fittings man at all <laughs> but of course we have to say 
the, the new polo shirts that mm. the players are, are wearing this week. And uh, well, they've come in for some stick already, haven't they? I think mostly from from fans. Of course, we know about Judd Trump's comments to you, famous comments uh, earlier this year about some. You know, you think some of the um, the dress is is outdated. Some of the traditional waistcoats that we that we know and love for so many years. But many well, many fans don't love them. They think we should move on. Mm-hmm. Some are more traditional, and I think well, the majority that I've seen is again against it. But I had to say, I, I don't think snooker fans are the best or maybe I shouldn't use our anniversary episode to, to swipe at uh, snooker <laughs> fans but I think maybe um, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to c- communities that like change and embrace new mm. things when perhaps not the most forward looking always so it's a bit of that but but listen they're trying something new they're, they're quite shiny but a bit <laughs> yeah. less shiny on television but um, I think the criticism has been a bit much hasn't it I think so. Um, yeah, they did. I mean, I think that that photo they put out was just a little bit unfortunate. They did look sort of dripping wet in white, didn't they? But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I think yeah. We, I mean, we have been playing today, but I, we have seen a little bit, and it looked less less shiny on TV. And I, I thought, I thought they looked quite good. Um, I don't think they look unprofessional. You know, of course, a t-shirt looks less smart than a full suit. Like there's there's no way there's no getting away from it. it looks less smart in a traditional sense. Um, but yeah, let's give it a go. Why not? I mean, it's one tournament. Um, we still got an awful lot of tournaments to wear the full shebang, the, the shirt and uh, tie or bow tie, and obviously the triple crowns. The, the, it's the Kazoo series now, isn't it? The ITV series, the German Masters, European Masters. There's far more tournaments than not still wear the, the full traditional dress. So we'll see how it goes. Um, see what they'll see what the feedback is. Um, but from first glance. I thought it looked pretty good, um, and we'll see what the players say as well. I mean, they're going to be important as well. It's not, it's not just about what, how it looks on TV. It's how they, how comfortable they are, how, how they feel wearing it. Because, you know, that's that was one thing that Judd had said about it, and I remember speaking to Jack Lasansky about it as well, just saying, I'm not sure that any other sport wears, wears, has a dress code where it makes it more difficult to play the sport in. <laughs> than what you wouldn't wear it, you know. Wearing a dicky bow isn't actually very helpful to play snooker in, is it? Mm, yeah. um, whereas, you know, they're going to be much more comfortable in polo shirts than they are in that. So let's see how this tournament goes. And it, there's, I mean, yeah, as you said, there's not, there's not always great uh, reception to change. There's, there was always going to be some sort of backlash, however nice they looked. And some people just didn't think those specific T-shirts looked that nice, whereas they would be open to other T-shirts. So well, well, let's go through the tournament, see what people think at the end of it, see what the players say, see what... Even what the TV ratings are, maybe. You know, if we get a massive spike in TV viewers because they're in T-shirts now, then they'll, they'll be staying. But, yeah, I'd be surprised by that. But, um, yeah, we'll see. It's one tournament. See how it goes. Uh, I don't mind it. I think they look quite smart. Clearly not as smart as a, as a tuxedo. But, uh, yeah, I think I'm open to it. So let's see how it goes. Yeah, I'm generally open to it. It's one of those that I don't... If I'm honest, and this is not always great when you're presenting a podcast but I'm not massively opinionated about it either way if I'm mm. honest it's not something that massively bothers me um, so I, I can't drum up a lot of emotion about it I mean I do quite like the traditional clothes I have to be honest maybe for the really biggest events and then they maybe experiment more with this I mean the champion and champions is an innovative event isn't mm. it they will try new things the sets are brilliant the, the, the kind of the, the comparing the presentation all that kind of thing, um, you know, it, it lends itself to doing things a bit differently. So it feels like, you know, people are saying, oh, it's too prestigious for that. But actually, 
it's quite in keeping with the way they've done this for the last 10 years, isn't it? Or nearly 10 years now. Yeah, it was always going to... I sort of understand people saying, like, this is too big an event to be trying stuff out. And, you know, we've said on here before, it might be the fourth or fifth biggest event behind the top mm. three. Mm. But realistically, it was always going to be this because it was always going to be a matchroom one mm. that they did it with. Um, so, yeah, that, that's understandable in that way. And it is, it is a matchroom, and Emily Fraser gets a lot of credit for it, that sort of pushing the boundaries and trying new things. Um, so yeah, it was always going to be this one that gets 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 the in- innovations. Um, but as I say, we'll see. And I'm sort of similar to you, and I don't want to sound like I don't care because obviously I do care. But things like that don't bother me so much as uh, clearly some people. You know, people. Re- I mean, this is Twitter's Twitter, isn't it? But you see some people really sort of like horrified by it. And uh, I mean, I, I don't think. I don't think I could drum, I could force myself to be horrified about a black t-shirt in any context really. <laughs> you know, it's a black t-shirt. So, uh, yeah, let's watch the tournament and see what we think at the end of it. That would be my advice. Yeah, good way of saying it, uh, as ever from you. Now, um, we've heard from Judd Trump again, haven't we? And, uh, well, he's um, had some quite strong words to say about Ronnie O'Sullivan. I feel like you should talk about this first because you're the one that got the, got the, got the story. Um, and, well, he, he, he's... Uh, saying people aren't scared of Ronnie so much anymore. It's interesting, yeah. This, this was chatting to Judd at the English Open, so these quotes uh, were just held over for a bit. Um, and I think this is all the way, always the way, to be fair, I wrote the story, so I can't complain, but they come across a bit more aggressive than they sound. You know, he's asked a question. I, I asked him personally, why do you think it is that Ronnie hasn't won for a, a while now? It's over a year, which, you know, for someone like Ronnie O'Sullivan is a long time, especially when he's been to five finals. And he said, maybe he's lacking a bit of belief when you haven't won for that long. You've been lost in that many finals. The belief surely goes away a little bit. And, yeah, he suggested that sort of... Yeah, I don't think he meant all players, but certainly top players are, are not quite as scared of him as they used to be. And I certainly think lower-ranked players are terrified of playing him because I think you can see that. Play, people don't tend to play... Even the lower-ranked players don't play to their standard when they're playing him. But I think there's certainly an argument that the top 16 aren't so, aren't so worried about it. Um because he, he's just lost a lot more than he has over his career in the last year. Seems to have been anyway, certainly in those, those finals. You wouldn't have predicted that. Um, and what else? Uh, he, I asked him separately in that piece about um, what he thought about Ronnie's comments, sort of the, the sort of do the de- game down a bit, seem a bit disrespectful towards Snooker. And I'd say Judd sort of echoed what most fans think. Um, he said he'd rather he didn't say them. You don't hear big stars in other sports sort of slagging off their own sport. Um, but he also said... You never know what he's going to say, really. One day he might say something completely different, so he didn't take it too seriously. Um, so, yeah, it was it. Judge really good now, sort of giving his opinion. Um, you can disagree with him, of course you can. And, I mean, Ronnie, <laughs> I put Judd's comment to Ronnie about lacking belief, and Ronnie didn't seem very pleased with them at all. <laughs> he, he, he sort of laughed, but in, a, in an annoyed way, and then, sort of said, <laughs> and then sort of said, well, maybe he's right, I don't know, who knows, maybe he's right, maybe I don't like him, maybe I don't believe in myself, <laughs> but in, in really quite an irritated way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in that way, I wouldn't be surprised if someone goes on a bit of a burst now. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, Jud gets a bit of stick when I write articles like that, and people say, oh, he's being a bit arrogant, and he's being too opinionated, but it's great to be opinionated. These players need, like... He was asked a fair question, which is why why do you think Ronnie hasn't won much for a while? And he gave a fair answer, I thought. I don't think it was disrespectful. Um, it was better than just sort of saying, oh, you know, he'll win again, he's a good player, which most people would have done. Um, but yeah, he also said, you know, when I was asking him about the, Ronnie's comments about the game and being disrespectful, you know, he said, 
I think he said, I love him. Like, he was quite strongly that way. Like, he's got the ultimate respect for O'Sullivan, but he's, he's also willing to give his opinion on his game, which maybe it's just because I'm in the media and I'm looking for lines to write up, but I'm very appreciative of. So, you know, don't knock Judd's opinions too much because if he didn't say them, you'd have less interesting stuff to read, I think. Yeah, no, but, yeah, that's a fair way of summing it up. I mean, the thing about lacking belief is kind of interesting because to some extent, it he must have a point. I mean, Ronnie should have finished off that semi against John Higgins. Now, I know he's playing a top player. These things happen. Of course, you have to give John credit for coming back into the match and winning it. But it seemed a little... I was in the arena live for that one in Milton Keynes, and I thought, hmm, there's a little bit of, of Ronnie perhaps lacking that ruthless edge to close matches out. Listen, it's what? 15, 16 months now. It's not an age. It clearly isn't. You know, but... It's still significant that Ronnie hasn't won the title in that time. And to keep losing finals is also something that should be noted. It's not going to take away Ronnie's genius, his brilliance, his incredible career, his status as the best player ever, in most people's opinion, certainly mm-hmm. ours too. But it is still something to be noted. And, you know, I do sometimes see a little bit on social media or on elsewhere, or, you know, Judd gets wound up by Ronnie or they get hurt by each other. Well, they should get hurt by each other, really. <laughs> They're both at the top of the game. They're both trying to win. You know, um, yes, Ronnie's been doing it a lot longer, but they, they've been battling at the top themselves together for about 10, 12 years now. And I think, because I, I, I'm around them a fair bit and, and listen to them talking and, uh, and sitting in the interviews, they do get hurt a little bit by each other at times, maybe, because they're both trying to win the big titles. They're both very aware of each other, uh, each other's brilliance. So there is a little element of that, but then there should be. And I was thinking, you know, on the, on, funny enough, on the way here today, I don't listen to many tennis podcasts, frankly, but I can't imagine they'd ever have a discussion on there about um, it being strange that Nadal doesn't get wound up or worked by Djokovic or Varinka by Murray going back or whoever it is, because, you know these guys are trying to win the big titles and it's like O'Sullivan and Selby now people say oh they're not getting on so well anymore well yeah but I mean they had a massive semi-final which they, they you know which Ronnie won in amazing circumstances it annoyed Mark it probably still affects him to some extent but you know this isn't kind of um, family fortunes or, 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 or you know or, or the price is right Phil is it it's not, it's not a game show this is sport and you know if these guys weren't hurt by each other would be like well you know don't you take it seriously enough? It's wrong that they are, in a way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice that they all shake hands and say nice things about each other, you know, at the end of the World Championship final this year. And it was, everyone said, oh, it's Sean Murphy's done a lovely speech at the end. And he did, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. That was great. But <laughs> I like a little bit of needle, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. And again, maybe it's just I'm working media, but um, you don't have to be best mates. And I'm not even saying that Judd and Ronnie aren't, but they can give honest opinions of each other. And Judd, at the minute, confident in himself thinks he's the best player in the world and he, he thinks and it's hard to argue with him if he plays his A game at the minute he'll beat anyone including Ronnie and to be fair that's what he's done in recent years so he, he sort of feels like he, he can say these things and great you know he's, he's not the world number one right now but you know we've had that debate and he could be the world number one but it's good to have someone at the top of the game being that confident to say what they think about anyone Um and as I say, I, I don't consider it disrespectful. It's just an honest opinion about why someone hasn't hasn't been winning. And the only the only reason you're having that conversation about why he hasn't been winning is because he's so amazing. You know, most other players, if they haven't won for 15 months or whatever it is, 
it wouldn't even be a discussion, would it? It's just, it would just be the norm. Um, so yeah, no, I I think it's all good. I don't I don't think there's I don't think there's a feud there. It's just two people that are very confident in themselves, happy to say what they think. Uh, certainly, Judd's got the greatest respect for Ronnie. Probably less so the other way, if anything. But it's a, but that's that's not what people complain about. People are complaining about Judd being disrespectful to Ronnie. But I don't think it is that. That's not how I see it anyway. But it's a game of opinions, as all sport is, which makes it so interesting. And we've certainly expressed a lot of opinions in the last uh, twelve months, uh, haven't we, Phil? There's a quick word about Mark Williams as well, who who you've spoken to and is is in better health now. We're, we're glad to see that and. Uh, we wish him well, of course, and also a little bit of words about the crucible debate, which, as you rightly said, has died down a little bit now, but he doesn't see anything wrong with the, ro- the rotor for that, so there might be a bit of life left in that debate yet. Yeah, and no, I had a really great chat with Mark the other day, um, 45 minutes an hour on the phone with him, which was really interesting. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's better now. Well, he's improving. Certainly, I don't think he's full fitness, but uh, he's certainly better than he was. But, uh, yeah, on the crucible... Uh, he sort of said, you know, he made those comments best part of a decade ago about how he expects it to move to China, didn't he? And uh, he got in trouble for a tweet he put out, I think, but like, that was more the swearing than the uh, than <laughs> the suggestion he should move to China. But he actually told me what the fine was for that. It was four grand, which I thought seemed like an awful lot, but, you know, fair enough. Um, but, yeah, no, he was sort of saying he always expected it to outgrow the crucible, just size-wise, sort of on Judd's point, expected to get bigger, so... You know, I think the vast majority of people want it to stay at the Crucible, uh, and that's that's good and fair. And I think we we both want it to as well. But there are some people who are open to it, so I think that's just fair to acknowledge. I don't think it is going to move, and we don't want it to move. But uh, there are there are more people than you know. It's just more than one or two people that are open to it moving. But uh, yeah, no, it was great to speak to Mark. We talked about all sorts of um, the tour, first round prize money, things like that. That's things that come up a lot. That that's become a sort of a bugbear of me, mine. I think. If I was to change one thing about the game, I'd, I'd rustle up some prize money for first-round losers. I think, I think it needs to be more of a profession for people rather than scraping around losing money all the time. But you know, that's that's not what we're debating about here. That can be another time. Shall we give the, the listeners a, a relatively short episode of around 40, 50 minutes? I mean, this is um, you know, like Neighbours, like an episode of Neighbours <laughs> in comparison to. To, to to the to, to the James Bond film we've been giving them recently. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think when we started, we thought, oh, we'll push for the hour mark, and then it became almost impossible to get below the hour mark. We were trying away so much, uh, but we'll go back to go back to a decision for the uh, for the year anniversary. It probably was about this length. The first one was it? Maybe about, that, about that. I think. Yeah, maybe a nice nice symmetry there. Indeed, Phil, congratulations. I'm smarting, but I'm over a bit. I'm I'm getting over it now because talking about it. You know, about to say at least I came second, but you can't say that, can you? Even <laughs> at least I competed. I could, the first two frames, I pushed you quite hard, but well done, sir. And um, I'll, I'll be back to try and win it back from you next time, though. Yeah, no, it was a great battle, and I felt like I really had to work hard for it. And certainly, yeah, two 0 down. I feared the worst, but yeah, uh, now I'll be delighted. I'll uh, when I when it when it's found my its place on my mantelpiece or on my bookshelf, I'll I'll tweet a picture of it so you can all. See the see it's in in all its glory. I'm gonna have to mute you for a few days, aren't I? <laughs> all the best, Phil. Enjoy the rest of the Champion of Champions. Everybody is underway in Bolton, and we'll be back next week. All being well next Monday to review that tournament and look ahead uh, to the UK Championship. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, we'll just say uh, one year old and many many more years to come. Great to be with you, Phil. 
Yep, delighted to be here as always, and thanks for listening, everybody. I mean, the listeners have grown over the year, and hopefully they'll keep going, but uh, we certainly don't forget the people that are there from the start. Very much appreciated. Indeed, and keep your thoughts coming to us, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com, or tweet us at talkingsnooker. I never thought I'd say the words uh, live from tooting anytime, <laughs> Phil. That's an ambition that I didn't even know I had realised. <laughs> for now, thanks ever so much for listening to us, as ever. From Phil and myself, cheerio. Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.